Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Do you have what it takes to be a champion at what you do? How do you measure success? We ask these and other relevant questions of today's martial arts stars. Each week in every show, we speak to different fighters from the UFC, Olympic martial arts medalists, and world champion martial artists or kickboxing icons, many of whom have gone on to become stars of martial arts cinema. Over the next hour, we have two interviews. The first with professional MMA fighter and co-star of The Ultimate Fighter, Gentleman Josh Hill. The second with six times Miss Olympia, Corey Everson. I have a book to bring to your attention. Check out 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts at Amazon. Also, for UFC and Everlast Apparel, video games, and training equipment, check out our show website at www.mawradio.com. This week's inspirational quote is from Vince Lombardi and goes as follows, It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Vince Lombardi, 1913-1970 to Hi, I'm Don the Dragon Wilson, and you're listening to Joseph Clark at Martial Arts World Radio. Gentleman Josh Hill is a professional MMA fighter in the bantamweight division who has an impressive record of 15 wins, 2 losses. He was a member of Team Tate in the Ultimate Fighter reality television program, Team Rousey vs. Team Tate. Josh, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. Josh, you were a fighter on the reality television program, The Ultimate Fighter. Tell us about the tryouts and the process to get selected for the program. Um, yeah, it actually happened pretty quick. Uh, I heard the uh, the tryouts. I was watching. I think I was watching a fight one day, and they said they had an open tryouts the following month. So um, I knew for sure I'd be you know, a good candidate for it. I think I was I was nine and zero at the time, and um, so we went down there. Um, to Vegas, we flew out, and there was like 300 plus applicants there. Um, it was a long day. We got there at 7:30 a.m. We didn't leave till about 11 at night. So uh, we had to go in. We did um, uh, like they sign your name up and everything like that. They give you a number, and then you go in and you do uh, an open grappling workout. Uh, so you get like 90 seconds, and they match you up with uh, somebody and you grapple, and they watch you. And then they make cuts from there. And then they also do a striking portion, the same thing. You just do pads and they cut, make more cuts. And then uh, you have your first interview process, which is like the the biggest part of it. And uh, you kind of go in there and um, the, one of the producers um, just kind of rips on you a bit and just sees on your reaction and how you are and your personality and whatnot. And I think that's where they make their most cuts. Um, and then if you make that, um, they you stay for the night and they put you up uh, at the hotel and then following day we got to do a bunch of medicals um, and then more interviews I think I had like two more interviews after that and then uh, they send us home they say um, you're going to get a call and uh, either you're going to be fighting to get on the show or you're not selected one of the two so kind of train like you are and uh, I think it was like a month or two later I got a call and they said you've been picked and uh, you're going to be fighting to get on and that's kind of how it went Josh, how were your nerves throughout this process compared to leading up to a fight? Um, it was tough, really tough, actually. I was, it was, I had a lot going on in my life at the time. I had some some family issues happening uh, right when all this was going on. So the tryouts um, or leading up to to the house and in the house was uh, was a really really kind of tough time for me. Um, but I, I wish it could have happened, you know, even a year or year earlier or a year later would have been better, but it is what it is. It's just kind of bad timing. But um, 
other than that, it was, it was I was really excited. Um, you know, I, I remember watching the Ultimate Fighter back before I even started training, uh, let alone fighting. So it's uh, to show that probably all fighters, you know, would at some point strive to get on or or um, another platform in their career. So I was really, really pumped. How excited were you when you got the call that you were going to be on the show? Yeah, you know, um, I, I had a good feeling for it. I, I, you know, um, we had spoke with the UFC prior to the, the tryout, so they knew who I was. And so, you know, being going in there, Canadian guy, and had a good record, I was undefeated, and I don't know. Um, I, I knew I had a really good shot to at least uh, get on, you know, to fight to get on. So, um, But I, I was pumped. I remember I was eating dinner, I got the call, and... Um, you know, I, I was training like I was fighting, but, um, you know, I was really, really excited. Josh, do you believe in leaving it all in the cage, or do you try to be strategic? Yeah, actually, I have had split decisions. I've had two, actually. Um, but I do believe that they should have been unanimous. Um, I don't think they should have been split decisions. I thought I won the fight entirely, and majority of other people thought so as well. But, but yes, um, you know, no, I, try to, I try to go out there in every fight and, and hopefully get the finish. Um, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But uh, if it does go to the judges' scorecards, I want to be you know 100% sure that, that you know I was dominant in that fight and I got that win. So obviously the more finishes uh, would be better for me, and that's something I'm you know, working on and striving to do. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, I've, I've experienced kind of all wins, you know, subs, uh, knockouts, and, and decisions. So got a little wide variety of everything. On the Ultimate Fighter, your season was Team Rousey versus Team Tate. What was the experience like in the house and in the gym? Uh, it was cool. Um, you know, I was on I was on Misha's team, and uh, you know, right away, like I got along with Misha and all the coaching staff that came with her, and and same with the the guys and the girls on my team. You know, I, I had a solid team, and and even with Rhonda's team, you know, I got along with everybody in the house really, and I still talk with almost all of them today. Um, and it was cool. It was definitely different because you're, you know, you're not with your teammates, you're not with your coaches or your friends. You're totally in a different atmosphere with people you don't know and uh, you're being filmed with everything. But um, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, being in the house, it was, you know, it can get really boring. <laughs> uh, sure. You don't have any, no TV, no music, no magazines, no nothing. Um, all you can really do is just hang out and, and eat, which is awesome, but at the same time, you got to watch your weight because you got to make weight within two days. So it's kind of like a torturous, actually, because <laughs> you can order any food you want, but within you know two days, you got to be able to make 135. So it's not like you go out there and just eat whatever. But other than that, man, it was it was really cool. Um, you know, I, I'm really happy I did it. Um, like I said, I wish the timing was a little bit different, but uh, other than that, it was such a really great experience. Josh, at what age did you begin martial arts? I started later, actually. Um, I, I never came from a martial arts background growing up. I was a hockey player and did rugby and baseball growing up. But uh, I started training when I was about 21. Um, I began, you know, sort of, you know, when I was finishing my junior junior career in hockey. And obviously, I knew I wasn't going anywhere with that. It was more so just for the competition. And uh, once that was going to be done, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I'm very competitive. I like physical sports. Um, so I needed something else to, to keep me going. And, you know, I've tried grappling in the past and whatnot, and I really, you know, had a thing for it. And I did pretty well as somebody that never had any training. You know, when all of our buddies would get around, and I was, I was usually the smaller guy, and, uh, and I held him pretty well against the bigger guy. So, um, you know, it was just something I always wanted to do, and I was always a fan of fighting. And I always watched, you know, UFCs and Prides, and the WC was just my favorite organization back in the day. And uh, and I gave it a go at like twenty twenty one ish, and then I had my first pro fight uh, like a month before my twenty third birthday. Still quite young for a pro fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was a bit different too because I never had any amateur fights, which uh, nowadays would you know it's not usually like that. I just kind of jumped right into pro. Um, you know, the only sense of competition I did have leading up to that was at you know several submission grappling tournaments. But uh, I never had any boxing fights or kickboxing fights or any amateur MMA fights. I just kind of jumped right into pro and, you know, could have could have ended badly for me, but it ended up working out pretty well. Josh, did you have a good coach or mentor who prepared you for your professional debut? 
Yeah, um, you know, my coach, uh, Alan Hamajin, um, he's, my, he's my lead striking coach and all all coming up. And, uh, you know, he was confident in my abilities, I think, and he put me in there. And uh, I had other fighters that I was training with they were on the same card. And so I kind of, you know, looked up to them and kind of went by what they were doing. And uh, it was a really fast learning experience for me. But, um, you know, it, it really launched my career pretty quick. And also my making my pro debut was actually on the, the score. Back when the score was around, uh, they were filming it. So I got my my first ever pro fight uh, on national television. And, and you know, I uh, actually won a knockout of the night, too, on it. So more people even seen it because of that. So it worked out, couldn't have worked out better for me, actually, to have your debut. On The Ultimate Fighter, did you have much interaction with Ronda Rousey? Um, not a whole lot, because um, I was on Misha's team, but I did, you know, hang out with them, with Ronda's team a lot, and, you know, I got along with her, um, you know, she's, she's very edgy, <laughs> like, she's kind of got, like, uh, I don't know, that, always kind of got that chip on her shoulder type attitude, but at the same time, like, she was able to, we chilled with her, and she was, she was fine, like, I, I got along with her, nothing, nothing bad to say about her at all. So that competitive intensity that we see when she's being interviewed or leading up to a fight, that really is the real Ronda Rousey. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, she she lightens it up when she's just around amongst friends and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't, I've never seen her outside of that element really, because you know, even on the show, even when we were just relaxing, it was still had to do with the show and had to do with the fight and and whatnot. So I'm sure you know once she's totally outside of a show, I'm sure she's a lot more. Not without person. Josh, would you share with us your philosophy and your psychology to being a champion? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part, and that's the part I'm still working on, really. Um, I don't think there's a set way of doing anything. I think it's all about the individual. And, uh, you know, there's all types of different paths in this sport. Um, I would advise any young person that wants to get into it, don't get into it to make money. <laughs> That would be my number one uh, thing because that uh, that doesn't come very easy, and, and many many don't get there. Um, and if that's where your heart's at, I think it's you know you won't end up there anyway. But um, you know, just I'd say it, it's a grind. Um, prepare yourself for that grind. It's like anything else, and nothing's going to come easy in the sport at all for for most people. Um, and yeah, like it's gonna they're gonna have ups and downs. Along the way, nothing's going to be just clean-cut how you thought it's going to end up. But uh, I think persistence is probably the biggest word to use in uh, in this sport. Um, the more you put in, the more you'll get out. Um, and if you're willing to do the work, it will definitely pay off in the end. But yeah, there's it's a uh, it's a game of you know it's a mental game for sure. And uh, the weak the weak-minded tend to fade away, and so only the strong the strong ones that end up you know fulfilling their dreams or at least attempting to fill their dreams to the, the best of their abilities. Josh, now stepping outside of the cage and outside of the gym, what has been your most difficult life lesson that you've experienced yet? I don't know. I, w- I would just have to say losing losing loved ones, really. I think there's nothing worse than that, I think. Um, yeah, you know, everybody has to, something everybody has to go through and everybody has to deal with. Um, so I would say that would be the number one, of course. Uh, and then, you know, maybe just, um, kind of has to do with, with my career, the string of being in a relationship with a, a mixed martial arts fighter. Um, it's, it's not, you know, your average nine to five, you know, I'm going to work and I'm coming home and, and that's it for the night. You know, I'm, my training hours are all over the place. I'm traveling and doing this, doing that. Um, so it is a, it is a unique lifestyle and it can be one that's difficult to live with or to be in a relationship with. So that definitely puts a strain on things. And, um, you know, a lot of relationships have been sacrificed in, in my career. So that's something that I've had to learn and, and live through. So that's obviously been pretty tough for me as well. Josh, who were your inspirations growing up? Yeah, well, one guy that I always uh, like looked up to in the sport was, uh, was Uriah Faber. Uh, he was always one of my favorite fighters growing up watching him, um, like I said, back in the WC days. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had the chance to actually, that's my, kind of my second gym is Team Alpha Mel in Sacramento. I go out there and train for a majority of my fights. So, you know, now I know him also on a personal level and 
uh, he's become more of a friend and a training partner now than um, just a guy that you know I watch on TV fight. But yeah, he's uh, he's been somebody I definitely look up to in this in this sport. Um, also because he has a very good business sense, uh, good business mind. You know, he's not just a fighter; he's, he's a business owner and he has multiple things. And that's something I'd like to do too. I'd like to um, branch out, like I have been doing, and because uh, I know I can't fight forever, obviously, so. I want to use this platform of uh, mixed martial arts to kind of venture out into other things, um, you know, for things I can do after I'm done fighting. Josh, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you think is relevant and that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just say, you know, I'm I'm your average guy that just is uh, <laughs> trying to, you know, follow what he loves the most in this world, and that's just it, competition and and. Mixed martial arts is where I've kind of fallen, and uh, I just you know I'm trying to be the the best uh, best bantamweight in the world, uh, especially the best bantamweight in Canada. And um, you know I'm still on that you know that path and that pursuit. Uh, like I said, there's been ups and downs already in my career, um, more ups than downs, which is great. But um, you know I'm just uh, trying to live out a dream and have some fun while I'm doing it. I don't want to be that you know boring you know everyday you know same Know, routine lifestyle. I know some people like that. It's just not me. Um, I like variety. I like change, like something new every day, and have a uniqueness to my life. So that's kind of why I fall on this career path. I think. Josh, this is our wrap-up question for this interview. You alluded earlier that one of your most difficult life challenges was overcoming the grief of losing a loved one. So on that line, would you have some advice for our listeners? or share some feelings with our listeners on how you dealt with that grief and how you overcame that loss? You know, like I said, everybody's different. Everybody deals with things their own way. Um, my way to deal with that was to get actually back to the gym uh, more so. I think that's kind of a place where I felt um, it was a fun atmosphere. You know, my training partners and friends are all there. I felt comfortable. Um you know, that's where I go and I, and I have fun before and after and during training. Um, so that was kind of my outlet of the way to relieve things and talking with those people there that I trust and whatnot and, you know, them being there for me and whatnot. So that was kind of my outlet. Um, but everybody's different, whether that's, you know, going to the gym or going to talk to somebody or going to whatever. But I'd say just do something that you you really love and you're comfortable with and kind of, you know, that's your kind of way of expressing your feelings and you can Josh, this has been informative and entertaining. Thank you for taking the time today and all the best. I have no doubt that we are speaking to a future world champion. Thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it anytime. Um, I'll be happy to come back. This has been an interview with professional mixed martial artist and co-star of The Ultimate Fighter, gentleman Josh Hill. This is UFC fighter Jason Sago. You are now listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. For those of you listening to Martial Arts World Radio while on your phones, tablets, or laptops, be sure to check out www.worldblackbelt.com, the world's foremost martial arts online community. Also, check out our show website for the advertisement for London Sports. London Sports is a provider of quality sports apparel and equipment at factory prices, which you can brand with your organization's distinctive logo to resell to your members and customers. Just visit www.mawradio.com and click on the London Sports logo to send your inquiry. Corey Everson is a six-times Miss Olympia, International Federation of Bodybuilding Hall of Fame inductee and actress. She has weight trained with Chuck Norris and Bob Wall, and she starred in Double Impact with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bolo Jung. She is a bodybuilding icon. Corey, this is truly a privilege. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. This is really going to be fun for us. Now, you won Miss Olympia six years in a row during a time in which bodybuilding was at the forefront of the mainstream. It was an amazing era for bodybuilding. How do you feel about that? I feel so grateful and so blessed and so privileged to have been in this amazing sport Um that during the time period that I was in it, I mean, the sports was different before I was in it, and it's definitely different after I was in it. And 
um, I just feel like I was in the golden years when it was so pure and so beautiful and so much, and everybody was friends with each other. It was, I'm still friends with the girls that I competed against. You know, one of my very best friends is Bev Francis, and she still is. Of course. I mean, I, so it's, uh, it was, um, like I said, I just feel unbelievably humbled and blessed that I was in it when I was. Do your children recognize how popular and respected and recognized you were around the world at that time in the sport of bodybuilding? I think they do now. I mean, my kids are 18 and 19 now. And initially, I don't know if they really understood the whole thing, you know, but it was usually the parents of their friends in like elementary school and grade school that would recognize me. Um, And, you know, I don't really think they really got it until maybe high school, then they they kind of really understood it. And it was funny, when we adopted Nina from Russia, um, the people in the Russian embassy recognized me. And it was so amazing. <laughs> there was all these people adopting kids um, in a room full of nervous first-to-be parents adopting kids from orphanages. And all of a sudden, these big Russian, like, security guard, big, beautiful guys came up and they, you know, were saying, we need to see your visa. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what happened? Did we do something wrong? Did we fill the paperwork out wrong? I'm so nervous. What's going to happen? Are they going to take my daughter away? They looked at my visa and they go, mm-hmm, just what we thought. You're Corey Everson. You must take pictures with us. <laughs> it was like so amazing. I mean, it's it was so amazing. And I am actually astonished that um, things come up, you know, almost on a daily basis where somebody will still recognize me. And I can, I don't even remember. I mean, I don't look at myself every day and go, oh, I'm Miss Olympia. I just look at myself like I'm a mom. And it's kind of neat when people go, oh, yeah, I remember you when you were competing. And, you know, so it is kind of, it, it is neat that people still remember. Corey, you co-starred in Double Impact with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bolo Young. Would you please tell us about that experience? Oh, my gosh, Bolo Young he, and Jean-Claude, amazing people. And it was, you know, I, I've gotten to do a number of different parts, from Hercules to Lois and Clark, you know, to, um, you know, the double impact. And I never really had an agent or um, went out on calls or anything. So it was mostly when somebody would say, oh, yeah, you know, do you want to be in my movie or do you want to do this? And my sister and I, usually we would do parts together and we'd be like, okay, that'll be fun. And so when we did, when I went to Hong Kong to shoot Double Impact with those guys, um, they too, they were like, they're athletes, you know, I felt like, you know, they were my brothers. And Jean-Claude was married to Gladys Portuguese, who was the person I competed with. So, you know, in that case, too, it felt like I was going to do a fun project with family versus being way too nervous, you know, about thinking that this was going to be my big career was acting. It wasn't, you know, it was more of this is, was a part that I got and I loved it and it was fun. It was a great experience. And Jean-Claude was absolutely charismatic and um, Bolo just super stud. I mean, I don't know how many movies that guy has been in, but. It was really a, a wonderful experience. I was away from home for a long time. I remember I was so homesick for my dogs, and I was gone for so long. And, you know, I'd never really been away from, you know, my husband at the time, Jeff, and my dogs. And so I did get, a little, you know, a little homesick. So I remember I did a whole bunch of artwork. And in my room at night when I wasn't shooting, I would do artwork, and I did, Lots and lots of beautiful artwork um, that I still have hanging up in my house today. And Corey, at the time that you were filming Double Impact and when it was released, I would say that was pretty well at the height of Jean-Claude Van Damme's success as a martial arts film star. Bolo Jung, of course, a kung fu practitioner who I've interviewed many times. I've had the privilege to interview many times. He was also a former professional bodybuilder like yourself. I've also interviewed his son, David Jung, who is a former professional bodybuilder. So I see what you mean. There's not a lot of degrees of separation between yourself and that action cinema community. It must have seemed like family, as though you were working within a fraternal network. Well, yes, and plus I was always friends with Bob Wall and 
um, Chuck Norris. And so when we, when I, the place I would work out, Bob Wall and Chuck Norris would train. And so um, I knew them, and I would do things with some of Chuck Norris's events, you know, that he would do, and I'd go and speak. And so, you know, it really is kind of like a brotherhood, and I, you know, of athletes or whatever field you're in, you know, when you are around those people, you know, whether it's, you know, engineering people or musicians or actors or, as in my case, athletes, you, you, it is really a brotherhood, and I love that. From 1980 to 1989, you had a very busy competitive career. What would a day of training look like? Okay, so first of all, I was a terminal overtrainer, and I never quite learned how to, you know, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, and, you know, my theory was always I'm not the biggest and I'm not the strongest, so I have to be the best combination of all of it. I have to be the best proportion, the best, you know, the you know, good definition, um, good proportion, and a decent amount of muscle um, because I'm, I was never going to be the most defined and I was never going to be the biggest. And so um, I think I overtrained a lot because I didn't really know how not to. And I would, here's a typical day, I would get up in the morning and I would go to the gym and I would do an entire body part like back, for example, and I did lots and lots of sets, uh, you know, and lots of reps. Um, and then I would maybe do an hour of cardio, hour of the stationary bike or treadmill. And then I would go have lunch, and I'd go to the gym, and I would I'd go to a different gym, and then I would do my uh, bodybuilding routine, posing routine, which is incredibly fatiguing because you're thinking, you're creating, you're dancing, you're moving, you're flexing. And it is so fatiguing, you have no idea. Um, well, you have an idea, but it's like that tension posing and all that stuff is fatiguing. It's a workout in itself. Then I'd be exhausted by then. So then I would take a couple hours break, you know, maybe have another snack or another meal, and then I'd go to the gym again because now I had to do my second body part. So if I did back in the morning, I did buys and tries in the afternoon. And then um, I would do maybe sometimes my friend and I, my training partner, Darcy, we would do this giant walk where I live. It's like four miles, but it's hills. By the time nighttime came, I could hardly crawl up the stairs, and, you know, I'd fall asleep half the time at the bottom of the stairs. I was so tired. But that was kind of like pre-contest, you know, when I was trying to get really lean, you know, and try to keep my muscle at the same time. In the off-season... I didn't do as much cardio. I still did the split workout where I do a body part in the morning and a body part at night, but I didn't I didn't add in all the stationary biking and the cardio and all that stuff. So I, you know, eased up a little bit. And diet is a huge part of the bodybuilding game. Did you find it challenging to be on such a strict diet regimen for all of those years? You know, honestly, I never really was. Um I think nowadays, like I watch my friends, uh, I have a friend who's a, a master's bodybuilding champion, Greg Hartley, um, and I can't believe how strict, and Jill Beerman, some of the, my, my friends, they, are, they come to my house and I'll spend the weekend here and they, are, they measure their food, they weigh their food, they're unbelievably strict. Um, in my day, I don't know if anybody else was that strict, but I certainly wasn't. And I never weighed my food or measured it. I ate kind of what I wanted. I knew not to eat really high-fat foods and a lot of sugars because I'd never really done that anyway. Um, you know, so it, the dieting part wasn't as hard for me because we, I didn't take it that, that part of it so scientifically. It was more of the training. I was always exhausted because I was always training. And then it was almost like I couldn't eat enough because I trained so much and so hard that I almost wasn't eating enough to maintain that muscle um, because I was kind of watching my diet. I'd eat oatmeal in the morning with a bunch of egg whites, and at lunch I'd have like a tuna fish sandwich on rye bread, you know, yes with mayonnaise um, in it. And um, I'd you know, eat like pretzels and stuff for snacks. And I never really had protein powder at that time. I have, I 
actually use protein powder now. I love it. But when I was competing, I really didn't use a lot of protein powder. I didn't use supplements. I just tried to eat as healthfully as I could. But I was not like, you know, I remember traveling with, with Bertle Fox and um, uh, Matt Mendenhall and some of the bodybuilders at the you know during the day, and they were so strict and had to have their you know three or four chicken breasts per meal with white rice, and they were very 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 strict. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm not you know I'm am I doing something wrong? I'm not as strict as they are. You know, uh, am I messing up my body by not being so strict? But then again, what I did worked for me. So I think everybody. Um, has their own routine and they know how their body works and they know what they normally eat and they know what they need to do to get into shape. And, you know, my theory all along from the minute I started competing, you know, to this day is I don't like my body weight to get so much out of shape where you have to diet so strictly to get into shape. Um, I still to this day weigh about the same exact weight that I weighed when I was competing and I weighed that when I was in high school. And I, I mean, I've never varied more than 10 pounds in my body weight. And I'm five foot nine. And so, you know, you see some people that gain 30 pounds and then lose 30 pounds. And, you know, I'm not, I would never do that because I think it's too hard on your body and too hard on your metabolism to do something like that. Corey, do you have advice for our listeners about combining weight training with their martial arts training? Weight training is just it's absolutely key I think for every single sport whether you're a track athlete a gymnast a swimmer um, a martial arts fighter you know I watched Chuck Norris and Bob Wall training in the gym you know I watched Bolo training in the gym I watched Jean-Claude training in the gym and I think it's really important because first of all when you do weight training it's very controlled you're developing the muscle you're developing the synopses you're developing the ligaments and the tendons and all the structures around you know, a joint, carefully and controlled. And so I think weight training is strengthening all those joints that are being twisted and, you know, flexed and moved around, you know, when you're fighting. Um, but also, of course, you know, the, the flexibility is a key too. So, you know, the stretching, going through full ranges of motion. And what, what I did, like when I was a track athlete, instead of doing super heavy weight, you know, for limited repetitions, I w- we would do higher repetitions with less weight so that you're getting the uh, muscle endurance, which I think the fighters also need. They need the strength, but they also need the muscle endurance. Um, so it's not so much about the mass amount, massive amount of weight that you can lift, but it's about lifting a certain amount of weight over the long haul and keeping your energy level up and keeping the strength in the muscles. Corey, throughout your professional bodybuilding career, did you have much of an interaction or friendship with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes, he's the most wonderful man. He, um, I met him, I think, in like way back in like 1980 or 1982, and I was in California on vacation from Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to college, and I met him, and he was so nice and so kind and. I'm German and he's Austrian and so we were able to communicate in German and so I think he kind of liked that because my mom and dad came from Germany and um, he became friends with my mom and there was a there was a time when I was in the hospital with a blood clot you know right out of college and he wrote me a postcard and it was the kindest thing you know just to get better and um, he was really thoughtful and you know, Arnold is a very, very, very loyal person to his friends. And, um, you know, and then my mom actually got a blood clot as well. And she was in the hospital. And Arnold actually called her when she was in the hospital. And, um, you know, I've, I've had many, many, many occasions to um, interact with Arnold. And he's always just as soon as he sees me and my sister, you know, he'll stop and he'll be like, oh, the girls are here. Corey, cameo, come here. I want to introduce you to my friends. And, um, you know, if my mom's over there, he just completely stops and he loves my mom, you know. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, as big of a star as he is and as many people are always clinging to him and clawing at him and wanting to take pictures and wanting to get his autograph, 
Um, I think he deals with that really, really well because it's not that easy, you know, when you want to go and have a cup of coffee with your friend and he's being mauled by people. I mean, I think he he deals with that celebrity really, really well, better than just about anybody I, I can imagine. And so... Um, yes, he's, he was, he was a friend and an icon and, you know, I looked up to him and what he was achieving and although it wasn't in my heart to become that actor, you know, he was driven in that direction, I wasn't. I respected it and I love his, I still love his movies and, um, I know that there's been some bad rap about him, you know, in the past, but all I can say is, I have utmost respect for him, and um, I really, really think he's an amazing man. Corey, is it true that you are a fan of professional female mixed martial artist Ronda Rousey? Oh, gosh, yes. I love her. Absolutely. I remember we were in in Mexico on vacation, and we had to go to somebody's house to watch the event, one of the events that she was in. (laughs) So, yes, we are fans. Absolutely. So for any of our listeners who may have some kind of communication with Ronda Rousey, you might want to let her know that six-time Miss Olympia, Corey Everson, is a fan. Corey, who is your favorite martial artist? Oh, okay. I have to say Chuck Norris, just because he's my friend. Um, So, yep, I'm going to stick with that one. Although, when I grew up, I was so in love with Bruce Lee, I can't even tell you. We used to go to these, I lived in Chicago, and my boyfriend and I, we used to go to these movies where there'd be like four or five Bruce Lee movies all in a row. And, um, you know, just so motivating. I mean, I just, we'd leave the theater, we're so motivated. But um, anyway, so yeah, I'm going to stick with Chuck. <laughs> so, Corey, a change of pace here. You and I have spoken previously about perspective-changing life challenges. I shared with you that my eldest daughter had a health scare recently in which we thought we were going to lose her. We almost did. Thankfully, we did not. And she is healthy again. You shared with me a similar experience which you had with your daughter when she was quite young. What is learned from these perspective-changing, life-affecting experiences? I think um, perseverance. And I think, you know, like I always told my daughter you know, after she got out of the hospital and I had taken pictures, you know, with her in the hospital and, and of her, you know, wouldn't the, she could finally be around other people and had the dogs coming in and, you know, pictures of her and her, I don't know how many MRIs she had, like 14 or 15 of them. But I remember telling her, one day you're going to use this experience and you're going to help people in need and you're going to help people who are struggling because you've gone through this struggle and you know that you survived it and you know that you know God was watching over you and we all prayed for you and you know you're you're a daughter of of God and you you're you're loved and you're blessed and you are going to be fine and so you know I would always tell her one day you are going to use this experience and you're going to help people who are scared and you're going to help people who are in pain and you're going to help people who feel as though they want to give up and you're going to tell them not to. And I had a similar situation with myself actually when I was 21 years old and I had a blood clot and I almost had my leg amputated and it was this freak thing and no one knew why it happened or where it came from and I was an athlete and I was in good shape and all of a sudden I had a blood clot and they didn't know and it was like completely from my toes all the way up to my hip and they had never seen anything like that and they were talking about amputating my leg and I was in intensive care for six weeks in critical care for four weeks and then I had to learn to walk again and then I competed like almost a year later and I was really skinny and lost so much muscle but it didn't matter to me because you know I basically proved the doctor's wrong. It's like, no, I'm going to be able to walk. I'm going to be able to compete. I'm not going to be limping. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and you know, I think it just creates strength in you because, um, I remember when I was in the hospital and I told my daughter to do the same thing. I said, you can do a lot of self healing by positive self talk. And I would talk to myself like for hours at night. And I tell myself, 
for my blood to get better, for my my blood to start flowing. I would I would tell my body to heal. I would visualize my blood going through my veins clearly and easily, and I would visualize these things. and And I'm not kidding you. I swear. I think that all helps. And I am, you know, I am serious about that. I think positive self talk will help heal your body and it will help heal definitely heal your mind but it will definitely heal your body because you know we are in control of of that and so I told my daughter to do the same thing when she was in the hospital too and even though I never left her side you know I would keep saying Nina tell yourself you're getting better and tell yourself you know the staph infection is going away and and it works so um you know it's it's every time you have an adversity where you get knocked down and you can get back up again, you become that much stronger and um, you become more humble and you become um, more caring of, of other, I think of other people too, because it's like life is so short and life is so precious. And, you know, if you learn at an early age not to take advantage of that, then you'll be a better person to yourself and to everybody around you as well. Corey, some great, great wisdom there. Now, we're going to have to wrap up our interview, so I have one more question for you. You divorced Jeff Everson in 1996. You kept his last name for professional reasons. Divorces can be difficult. For some, it can be the most difficult experience of their lives, especially if they're emotionally dependent on that individual. In fact, some people are emotionally dependent on the situation they're in. So it can be a very difficult experience for people to go through a divorce, a very difficult life experience. Did you come out of that stronger? Yes, it was actually, Jeff and I are still to this day, like, extremely close and good friends. And my kids call him Uncle Jeff. And, you know, the thing with Jeff and I, you know, we were like this magical couple that everybody thought we were just like perfect. And, you know, and... Although we got along great, we never fought ever, ever, ever. We had different goals in our life, and I wanted a family, and he really didn't. And so, you know, it was it was less of any kind of like an anger between us that there was a divorce. It was more of this is where I want my life to go. I want to have kids. I want to have a family, and he really didn't. And and I think he never, he didn't really want to have a family. Now I under, I, I was a lot younger then, of course, but I think now after thinking about why he really didn't want to, I think it's because his father was very, a very sick man with diabetes. And I think he was afraid that he could pass on a gene. You know, I mean, his dad had both legs amputated from diabetes. He didn't take care of himself. He, you know went blind he you know it was a horrible experience for Jeff to see and so I think he was kind of protecting himself and future children by just saying I'm not going to have kids and I don't want to have kids and so I think that's a sad thing because he's lost out on such a beautiful joy of life is by not having a family but you know on the other hand you know my family is still his family and um, so I think I came out stronger. I, I don't know if I'd say better, you know, but I was really dependent on him. He was my college sweetheart and we had been, you know, kind of been inseparable for since I went to college. So um, I think, A, it says to you, life goes on, you know, no matter how bad you think it is at the moment and how scary it is, life does go on. And it also says just Make sure you have a good family around you, you know, your, which is a number of things. It's your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters, you know, that will help support you during a hard time. But also, the, you know, the church, you know, I'm a Christian. And there are so many people that can help you at your local churches. And they, that's what we do. We love people. And, um, you know, I even got Jeff to go to church with us. And so it's, it's, um, I don't know if, you know, divorce always has to be so bad. I think it's more of just like, um, I don't think it's a good thing, you know, but especially if you have kids. But I think in my case, it was a, not a bad thing because I definitely wanted a family and I have the most amazing 
family and kids ever, and I'm so grateful for that. They're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Corey, congratulations on all of your achievements, and most importantly, not just on what you've accomplished, but who you are. Thank you. Oh my gosh, it's, it's so it's my pleasure. I just wish you the best of luck with your whole station, and um, you're a pleasure to communicate with. And I hope our friendship continues on. As do I, and I'm sure it will. Thanks again. You've been listening to an interview with six-time Miss Olympia, Corey Everson. Now, here's something really interesting, and it goes back to ancient Greece and the ancient Olympic Games. It is a mixed martial art called pancration. Now, pancration is an ancient martial art which mixes wrestling and boxing. The sport can be traced as far back as the second millennium BCE in the territory of ancient Greece. Its name derives from the ancient Greek words meaning all and strength or might and power. And it literally means quote unquote all of the might. So in 648 BCE, the pancration was introduced as a sporting event in the 33rd Olympic Games where it joined boxing and wrestling in a category called heavy events. That special group of sports was reserved for the best athletes with the greatest strength and stamina. The pancration event was the ancient crowd's favorite sport. It was believed that a military training based on this formerly unarmed combat system helped the Spartans to excel in hand-to-hand fighting. Soldiers trained in pancration were highly appreciated in the famous Macedonian phalanxes, as Alexander the Great was said to have given them priority in the recruitment of his army. Ancient Greek mythology appoints illustrious mythological figures as the first pancratiasts. Theseus, the founder king of Athens, allegedly used techniques from that martial art to defeat the Minotaur, the half-human, half-bull creature locked in the labyrinth of Minos. Hercules is said to have won in pancration contest in Olympia, as well as in another event organized by the Argonauts. Those are the heroes that went on a quest for the, the Golden Fleece. He reputedly used pancration skills in one of his 12 labors, too. Many Greek vases depict images of the hero defeating the Nemean lion with a specific strong lock believed to be part of the pancration fighting methods. So the ancient Greeks were mixed martial artists. I have an interesting martial art to discuss with you today, and you may have already heard of it. It's called Krav Maga. It is a self-defense system developed for the Israeli Defense Forces that consists of a wide combination of techniques sourced from Aikido, Judo, boxing, and wrestling, along with realistic fight training. Krav Maga is known for its focus on real-world situations and its extremely efficient and brutal counterattacks. It was derived from street fighting skills developed by Hungarian-Slavic-Israeli martial artist Emi Lichtenfeld, who made use of his training as a boxer and wrestler as a means of defending the Jewish quarter against fascist groups in Czechoslovakia in the mid to late 1930s. In the late 1940s, following his migration to Israel, he began to provide lessons on combat training to what was to become the Israeli Defense Forces. Subsequently, going on to develop the system that became known as Krav Maga. It has since been refined for civilian, police, and military applications. Now here's a bit of a history lesson for you, and it has to do with Wing Chun Kung Fu. The history of Wing Chun is one that can be considered an intermixing of both fact and lore. It is generally accepted that this quick and efficient martial art originated during the 17th century from the far more rigorous and complex forms taught in the Shaolin Temple of southern China. It was around this period when the Manchus came to power in China and began their strict rule in order to keep control. Due to their support for the Ming, the Shaolin monks faced great pressure and ultimate destruction to their temples. Due to these circumstances, the origin of Wing Chun lacks consistent records as martial arts practitioners were forced into hiding. 
However, the most popularized version of the story of Wing Chun's origin is that of the Buddhist nun Ing Mu. It is said that she was one of five elders of the Shaolin Temple that managed to escape prior to its destruction. With her high level of Shaolin martial arts, she created a form of self-defense which could transcend size, weight, and especially gender. She drew her inspiration for Wing Chun from the movement of animals, primarily the crane. When applied to the human form, these delicate but natural movements required little force to block and strike effectively and efficiently. And lastly, let's talk about French savate. Savat takes its name from the French for old shoe, heavy footwear, especially the boots used by French military and sailors. In the south, especially in the port of Marseille, sailors developed a fighting style involving high kicks and open-handed slaps. It is conjectured that this kicking style was developed in this way to allow the fighter to use a hand to hold on to something for balance on a rocking ship's deck and that the kicks and slaps were used on land to avoid the legal penalties for using a closed fist, which was considered a deadly weapon under the law at the time. It was known as Game from Marseille, and was later renamed Chausson, slipper, after the type of shoes the sailors wore. In contrast, at this time in England, the home of boxing and the Queensberry rules, kicking was seen as unsportsmanlike. Traditional savate was a northern French development, especially in Paris slums, and always used heavy shoes and boots derived from its potential military origins. Street fighting savate, unlike chausson, kept the kicks low, almost never targeted above the groin, and were delivered with vicious, bone-breaking intent. Parisian savate also featured open-hand blows in thrusting or smashing palm strikes, or in stunning slaps targeted to facial nerves. Techniques of savate or chausson were at this time also developed in the ports of northwest Italy and northeastern Spain. This is Lauren Avedon, and you're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with your host, Joseph Clark. Be sure to check us out at www.mawradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. I'm Joseph Clark. Thank you for listening. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.